is to be strong, clean, clear, pure, uncontaminated. That's always been my desire. And I believe that's because it's a good, pure, wholesome desire that to see the fellowship walk righteously before God. This is going to be, this is becoming more and more our theme in our, in our church, eternal theme, righteousness. And last week when we were in uh, EYC, we was able to put that down as our vision statement. And the vision statement for, for Europe is a distinct generation modeling righteousness. That's what we want to see. Why? Because out of where we're coming as a church, purity, transparency, all those things, God's abled, enabled us to put that down in Europe. And the other brothers uh, have taken hold of that and said, yes, that's what we want. So we formulated that, that phraseology. It's got to be more than a phraseology, as you, as you can imagine. This is our life. Wherever we are, we want to see a distinct generation modeling righteousness. So whether it's, start, it's starting over there, or I should say it's starting up there, it's, it's furthered in there, furthered in there, perfected in every area of the church. But it starts somewhere. Why? We want to see a distinct you're that distinct generation, modeling righteousness. Last time I spoke to you, I spoke to you about the need for pure doctrine. And, you know, I'll continue speaking about that because it's so true. And I, and I shared the story of when I was in Cumbria and I spoke at the men's weekend up there. Not our men's weekend, another church's uh, men's weekend. I was the fifth choice. They didn't know what they were asking. But when I got there, they sure regretted it. In one, Well, they didn't regret it. One man did. And uh, I was speaking about James 3.17, and we've been talking about this now, when for, uh, heaven's wisdom is first of all pure. And I began to speak to him about when the heavens opened up, how it's possible to walk, walk in an open heaven, and that heaven be pure over our lives. Well, this guy then began to take a bit of umbrage because we'd used terminology that he wasn't familiar with, so which kind of freaked him out a little bit, which then caused him to secretly get his phone out and start recording what I was saying. He didn't have to secretly do it. I was saying it. All he had to do was write it down, but he was using it as evidence because he wanted to condemn me. So he goes to his pastor, expecting his pastor then to stand up and label me as a heretic. Hey, you invited me. I didn't ask you. So the pastor rings me up, talks to me, blah, blah, blah. We have a meal together. Anyway, long story short, this guy is carnage. They can't even see in their own church that this guy is disaster. So they take his complaint and they bring it to me. But when they start telling me about this guy, it's like, it's a no-brainer. Just shoot him. <laughs> this guy is trouble with a capital T. It's trouble in their church. Never mind for me. But you know what? When things like this happen, it's good. We don't think it. I was really disturbed about it because here I am pushing for truth. And this guy's labeling me the opposite. So I'm really, I'm really upset about it in my spirit because it's the one thing I don't want to do and it's the one thing I'm trying to avoid. So can you imagine working hard to avoid that? And I'm really conscious about it. I don't get everything right. But to say I'm erroneous and, you know, is something different. So here he is. And then obviously the pastor then throws his allegation out and da-da-da, it all comes to nothing. But it makes me check my attitude. Yeah? When, when this allegation is, you know, when allegations come out, it's good for me to share it with you. So I'm being transparent, letting you know 
what they're saying about me, your pastor. Now, if I was fearful, I would think, well, if I tell our church, our church will be frightened and, and they won't want to listen to me. But no, because in here is good. It's clean, it's pure, it's righteous in here. It's the ministry that's building you up. So I'm not frightened of telling you that because he's been exposed anyway, this guy. So the, the issue is because I want you to know that there are guys out there who will slander good teaching and they think it's bad. And there's guys out there listening to bad teaching thinking it's good. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. So the first thing we do, you know, I have to check myself to see whether I'm speaking, preaching, teaching, truth or error. You have to check yourself. This is why we must work out our own salvation. I need to know what I'm saying and why I'm saying it. And check it is right with scripture. Secondly, I need to check my own attitude towards those who's accusing me. So I check what they're saying. I check my own heart. And then thirdly, I need to check the, act, uh, the attitude of the ones dealing with me in the process. Now that's where the flaw came in. Because the ones dealing with me in the process didn't deal with me accurately. If they'd have dealt with me accurately in the process, they'd have shot him long ago. In fact, they would have thrown him out for some of the stuff he's been doing. So I'm thinking, why are you even bringing this to me? If he's already got collateral damage, you know, a history of collateral damage, why are you even bringing this to me? So anyway, we learn from these things. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So... How many of you know that you can be right, but you can operate in the wrong spirit? So I have to make sure that I'm right. On the day it comes, I want to kill him. And then on the second day, I want to raise him from the dead. So, you know, it's purifying your own heart in all this. Accusation is not good, but it's good in one sense because it helps you to analyze yourself. And if humility needs to be brought in, bring it in. If repentance needs to be brought in, bring it in. Deal with it quickly. Amen? So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we read a, a very powerful scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3. For a time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. <laughs> Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll pull phones out and gather <laughs> and record things and gather around them a great number of teachers. That's what this guy was trying to do. To say what their itching ears want to hear. So they want to hear some stuff. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, but you, keep your head in all situations. And this is what God saying, Tony, shut up, keep your head. Keep your head. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. In other words, don't let the sucker derail you. Don't let one voice derail you. Excuse me. I've got cold, so a lot of sinus stuff. So we see, first of all, there's a time that will come. Read it there. For a time will come. Now, that time has to come in someone's generation. We can't keep reading some things in the scriptures like they're never going to happen. They're never going to turn up. It has to be fulfilled in someone's generation. So I think that we're in this time. That time is upon us. It's called the modern age. The spirit of this age. 
That day is here. Then the next thing it says, men will not put up with sound doctrine. Notice he doesn't just say doctrine, he says sound doctrine. Men will not put up with it. So there'll be a resistance, a fight against it. So when men will not put up with things, they create an alternative. And it's this alternative that we should all be very concerned about. We should all be very concerned about the alternative. Because I would hate to get to heaven and turn around and say, Lord, these are the people that, I, that I've worked and labored with. And Lord says, turn away, I never knew you. You polluted these people. You corrupted these people. I can't accept these people. Why? Because you've indoctrinated them with your philosophy. Can you imagine how burdensome that would be? And how your blood then is on my conscience. And I can't have that. I will strive to bring clarity, purity, righteousness at all cost. Right? I must do it. Why? Because I will not give you guys any reason to have less faith in Christ. I cannot have your lack of faith on my conscience. I must do everything in my power to present you to him. So I've got to adjust, keep adjusting. I must keep my head. Even when others don't like what we say. Even when others attack us for what we say. Because when others attack us and it's the papers, people inside here then think, well, yeah, you know, well, yeah, I did think when he said that. And then doubt and suspicion come in your hearts. Hey, you don't know what you've got in your church until someone outside accuses you. You don't know what reputation you've got until someone challenges it. Now, we don't want that, but that's going to happen. Because this is the day we're in. So internal flawed desires create alternative behavior. Internal flawed desires, they don't want pure doctrine. They want alternative doctrine. Why? Because they have flawed internal desires. Their hearts are carnal. They don't want the truth. Or they don't want the cost. Or they don't want the righteousness that's going to be demanded of them from the word. So they'll choose a different kind of doctrine. Let's lower the standards. So if we lower the standards, let's pollute the waters. We can still do what we do and still feel holy. So what we do, we create a self-help gospel. With a philosophy of a psychologist. Give you help. And we reduce it so everybody just does, everyone just feels like they've just done enough. Everyone feels that coming to church was the great sacrifice. I got out of bed this morning. Oh, please. I came to church, didn't I? I am serving the Lord. Really. Since when does coming to church add up you serving the Lord? It's your responsibility to be part of the church. The church is not the measurement of how you walk with God. It's only one aspect. Because you can raise hands up and still be sleeping with somebody else. You can still be stealing from somebody else. You can still be murdering people and still be sat in a church and raise hands. Of course you can. People don't change, they just learn to adapt. So what we see here, there'll be teachers who can be brought in and hired for the price. Whoa. Teachers. Read the scripture. A great number will gather around them, numbers of teachers, to say what their itching ears 
want it. What frightens me is that these preachers are there for hire. They're out there. They'll gather around and this crowd know where they are. They know where they are. So they'll connect with them, you know, birds of a feather, flock together. They'll go and find them, bring them in to say, just keep the status quo. Don't disturb the people. Don't ruffle the feathers. You can't say this. You can't say that. You can't say this. You can't, but just say this. That's, that's already on the turf. Oh, you wouldn't believe how many churches do this. How many churches? When you see Christian TV and you see preachers preaching in the church, they're all guys who travel the same circuit. And they all drop in the same churches and all have a safe, clear message. What just keeps the congregation at a certain level. Why? They know where they are and they bring it. And I'm not saying every man on TV is wrong. Please don't. I'm saying there are, there are circles, the clusters. Clusters. Yeah? But you know, there's multiple horror stories out there. Multiple horror stories. And we try and keep you from them because they don't need, they don't need to be known. One just broke out this week. Multiple horror story. You don't need to know about it. And then it says this, myths and stories will be created. Not truth now, myths and stories. This is just like now we're going back to the dark ages. This is how the gospel was preached, through myths and stories. That's why there was so much error. That's why when people saying, well, that's how um, when people uh, had sickness, the Catholic Church realized it needs to raise money for its armies. So they said, let's charge people for certain prayers. So when people are in, in darkness, let's, you can baptize the dead. You can pray for those who, who, who are dead, that God will get them out and give them a second chance. It's called religious indulgences. Why? And the priests were so poor, they'd take the money. I'll pray for it. I'll pray for it, yeah. So the people were given false hope. And the priesthood was corrupted. And still is. We just found different ways of doing it. Now we call it ministry. Yeah, now we call it ministry. So he turns up with a suit on, Rolex watch on, looking good, smelling good, but it's still the same flaws. People applaud him. Oh, we have such and such a buddy in our church. We have such a, our church has all the big preachers in. Yeah, yeah. And you're daft enough to let it happen. Myths and stories are created and perceived better value than pure truth. Yeah, myths and stories are created and they are perceived better Value than pure truth. Don't put up with stuff. We don't have to put up with stuff. We shouldn't have to put up with stuff. Wrong's wrong, right's right. Yeah? We must understand the times and the age in which we live. We must. Sobriety says, sobriety, keep your head. So sobriety, clear-headedness, hardship, endurance, must keep us on our path. Hello? You must be confident in the truth that you've received. You can't just drink everyone else's well. Because every well might look good, but it's, to some degree, it could be polluted. I'm not saying they all are. I'm not saying that. That would make us elitist if we said that. And we're not elitist. Far from it. There are many, many good wells out there. But everyone seems to think, oh, it sounds good, so it must be good. Well, the Jehovah's Witness sound good for a minute. Mormons do. They all sound good for a minute and then they, get, they take you, the further down the line you go, you think, oh, hang on. 
this doesn't feel right. No, it's not right. But we didn't have the discernment right at the beginning. That's how they get people. That's how they get people. So when we live in a time age, when we live in a time and an age, we must also understand there's a spirit that's attached to that time and an age. This is very, very powerful to understand. The Bible calls it the spirit of the age. In every time and season, there is a particular spirit that operates in that time and in that region. Last year, was it last year? I can't remember now. Or was it the year before? When we had the riots. Was it last year? Last year. When you saw a particular spirit, a violent spirit, go right through our nation like a plague. It was like, it was like, like you read of biblical proportion, the, the locusts have ravaged the land. And it's like through social media, the spirit of the age was able to gather, pollute. And every city was pumping for this, right? Even guys who wouldn't normally go down that path were gathered. And the police had a nightmare. The government had a nightmare. Why? Because it's very possible when the spirit of the age moves in a time and season, it gathers momentum and pace of biblical proportion. And it begins to influence and dominate and infiltrate and contaminate a whole society and a whole people. Now, if you don't understand what's happening, you'll be blunderbusted. You must understand that the spirit of the age wants to influence, affect and infect a whole society. What do you think is happening in Ukraine right now? Something as, you know, violent forces... You see the actions on the ground are a result of what's taking place in the heavenly realms. Oh, you're getting a bit carried away. Read your Bible. You must understand the spirit of the age. So that we know how to pray accurately. Yeah? So then it begins to influence governments. Governments make policies. Policies go down to the ground. Affects everyone. So <coughs> if, you can, if you can affect and, inf uh, and infect the top... It runs right through. And then what you have then is the people then rise up. They fight against it, but it's the same spirit. It's called anarchy, but it just goes on in a loop. So it from the top, it's felt on the streets. They attack the top. They replace the top. goes back down again. It's just a cycle. That's why if we can have a stable government, it's helpful. You don't build a nation without politics and economics. You need those two things. But guess what? That's what we've convinced ourselves. But to stabilize a nation and to lead a nation, you need God, the church. But society doesn't want the church. It just wants politics. You know what? I agree with the church separating from uh, the state. I agree the church doesn't need to be next to religion. We're not religious. We're the kingdom. But you know what? It takes a lot of wisdom for a nation to trust the church. Because the church would have us doing, it would have the nation doing all kinds of things. Because there's not many governmental men in our nation. So if you give that position to the wrong man, he's just as crazy as the rest of them. How many advisors do you think Cameron has? Or Obama has? How many people are coming in with the word of the law to him? Because he has spiritual advisors as well. But he also has soothsayers. He also has the occult. Because he's to be seen to be inviting all kinds of people. See, that would get me out of office straight away. Shoot him, shoot her, shoot them, gone. 
gone. Godly counsel. Godly counsel. But godly counsel is a matter of perception. So, in this age, we have relativism. Relativism. The church is fighting this issue. And this is where a doctrine is completely compromised. Because she wants to look good. She wants to look relevant. She wants to look cool and trendy. She wants to be all inviting. All you know, We don't want the church to be an uncomfortable place. The Bible says that the word of the Lord suffer. Uh, sorry, the Bible says comfort the afflicted. But we need some afflicting preaching. If we can't have afflicting preaching, how are we ever going to get them saved? So we need to bring a message that is relevant, but not relevant the way that they think is what is relevant. And not a sinner needs to feel uncomfortable. He can still be greeted, still be loved, still given a cup of tea, still given fed a panini. He can have all that, but he still needs to be uncomfortable when he's listening to this message. But if you dumb it down, water it down, sanitize it, why would he ever feel he needs what you're offering? So that's the price we pay. Now, many pastors will not roll that dice because they don't want to scatter the sheep. This is the price you pay. That's why I say it takes grace for you guys to listen to me. It does. Because I'm a mouth on roller skates. So in this world of relativism, there are no absolutes. What does that mean? In other words, there's no word, there's no truth, there's no laws of God. Everything's reduced. So there's no eternity. See, because our, our absolutes are eternal. They're unchanging. Amen? They're forever. They're reliable. They're unchanging. They are forever. They are reliable. We can't be adopting the world's philosophies. We can't be compromising our doctrine. Our doctrine has to remain pure. We have to come to the level of the doctrine, not bring the doctrine down to the level of the people. In the beginning was God. God brought everything. God brought heaven to earth. So earth could now come back up to heaven. There's a standard. So in, in, a, in an age of atheism, agnosticism, relativism, situation ethics, externalism, and other philosophies, that's enough to pollute and confuse anyone. All those, and these others, isms. Every generation is polluted with these. And the universities are the worst place. They're the breeding ground. That's why we must, it's not just getting our kids into university. We must understand the philosophies that's going to pollute them when they're in there. This is so, so serious. We really do have to understand what our children's future must be. So not that we just send them to university. Because in every university, it's a power. It's educating People And Pharaoh, which is a spirit of the age, take the Pharaoh in the Old Testament, the way he operated and the way he contained an Israelite nation, he's still doing it with ours. Because then we sow our kids into a career, the career then sows them into a prison. And our kids are lost. 
Now, what's the alternative? We want our, we, our kids have to go through university. They have to go through university. But you must know where they're going so that the university just doesn't accept them, but you know. And then you have to stand and pray your kids through that thing all the way. It's, we don't want our kids just to have an education on its own. We want them to stay clean and pure through it. Because they're going to be, take all the education we can get. Why not? But we've got to be very careful of what we allow into our hearts. It qualifies us to do the job. But it should never qualify us so we can then become contained in the job. Amen? You know, Egypt was one of the finest places to learn. Babylon. Places like that. We're all, play, all seats of education. Good places to learn, but at a price. Doctrine. The Bible says that the doctrine is described in three, it uses three symbols. Let me give them to you. Leaven is one. Leaven. In Matthew 16, verse 5 to 12, it says, Be on your guard against the Pharisees. There they are, these boys. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. Do you know why they were sad, don't you? Because they couldn't see, you see. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were sad, you see. They couldn't see. I know that might be a revelation for you this morning, but, but these people polluted everything about doctrine. They stood there. They were the gateway to people learning. They were the ones responsible for the law. These were the doorkeepers to people being contained or liberated. So when Jesus came on the earth, he fought against these guys more than anybody else. Why? Because they'd stand there with their pomp and their education. You're just people. What do you know? See, that's, the pre that's, the, that's religion. What do you know? So Jesus was smart. He knew how to, he knew how to talk to these snakes. Very, very clear about the unleavened. It's like a little bit, a little bit of contamination. Drop it in to the mixture. Phil talked to us last, was it this, no, last year about the, the Lord of the cake. And how, when you get the wrong ingredients, it destroys the shape, the texture of the whole cake. That's what these boys had done. Just a little bit of yeast. Little bit. Just sewing it in, mixing it in, goes right through a whole nation. You look at an Islamic nation. The whole nation's affected. Just a little bit. Work it through. Spoil the flavor. Alter the flavor. Change the flavor. The other symbol is wind. In Ephesians 4, 14, it says, Infants who are tossed back and forth by the waves are blown here and there by every wind of teaching and cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Listen to this. Infants, that's people who are not acquainted with truth. They're immature. Look what happens. They're tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there. But listen, listen to the ferociousness behind this wind. Cunning, craftiness, deceitful and scheming. That's the power behind when something's changed, spirits begin to operate behind men who begin to change things. Cunning, crafty, scheming, deceitful. They've already been exposed. It's not just about sowing my thought or my opinion. It's where it leads and what's operating behind the person. See, anyone can be wrong. Anyone can be wrong. I could say something this morning and be wrong. 
But there's a difference. If I say something wrong, I'm wrong. And so, this is why you have elders to say, well, actually, what you said is wrong. So then you can, see, the heart, the heart has not opened its door to a different spirit. But if, if elders keep telling me and I refuse to listen, my heart then is open to a different spirit. So being wrong is not the issue. It's how quick you are to put it right is the issue. The longer I refuse to be corrected and think myself above them, I open my heart to a different spirit. Now another spirit will begin to operate in our midst. And it will be cunning, it'll be crafty, it'll be deceitful and scheming. Why? Because it only has one aim. Kill, steal, destroy. So we can all be wrong to a point. It's how often you're wrong. Are you teachable? It'll reveal more about you than it will about me. Doctrine is like rain. Another word. So we've got leaven, we've got wind, we've got rain. In Hebrews 6, 1 to 9, it says, The land that drinks in the rain often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those who farm receives the blessing of God. So the land, if the land is, if the land is useful, the rain will come. And it will produce a harvest. So we see leaven, we see wind, we see rain. But there is a big, big fight to keep this doctrine clean and pure inside you. And inside the church. Amen? So if we're going to keep the doctrine clean and pure, let me just give you something here. God versus Satan. In the church we have God. In the world we have Satan. In the church we have the spirit of truth. But in the world, we have the spirit of error. Yeah? So we have God versus Satan. If there's a God, there's a Satan. If there's a truth, there must be a spirit of error. If there's light in the church, there must be darkness outside it. You ready? I'll go through some more with you. If there's the doctrine of God, there must be the doctrine of Satan. If there is the doctrine of Christ, there must be the doctrine of devils. Antichrist. If there is doctrine of the apostles, there must be the doctrine of man. Man philosophies versus apostolic truths. If there is believing in the church, what's the opposite? Deceiving. If there's life and liberty in the church, there must be death and bondage. So all these alternatives will attack us. They're looking for an entrance point into the house of God. And they start with leaven. They start with wind. They start with rain. That's how people do it. The tongue is the rudder. But it's the heart. It's the heart. So if my heart is wicked and deceitful, it's scheming, then I'll look for a group of people to pollute. Makes sense, doesn't it? In Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, For this reason, so he's describing the purpose. Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord 
and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have a great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Now, Paul is praying. Let's get the context here. Paul is praying for the church. He knows that the enemy is like a roaring lion. He knows he is a darkness. He knows that he's deceptive. He knows that he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He's full aware. So these people have just come into the light. So Paul is very clear that he what they need to stay. Yes? And he prays for this reason. Since the day we've heard about it, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you what with? Knowledge, through spiritual wisdom and understanding. We need knowledge through wisdom so we come into understanding so we can hold our ground. Paul's very aware what what they need. So he's saying, Lord, fill the Colossians. Fill them with with the knowledge of your will and through all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Our doctrine must reveal the will of God. Our doctrine must reveal the will of God, not the plans of man, not the thoughts of man, not the philosophies of man. We must know our Father's will. Why do we need to know our Father's will? So that we can bring glory to him. If I'm following my plans, it's not going to bring him glory. But if I follow his plan... It will bring him glory. If I follow my plan, I will never bear fruit. But if I I follow his plan, I have his fruit. If I follow my plan, I never have his power, resources, grace to do what I need to do. But if I follow his plan, I get all grace. I get sufficient grace. I get mercy. I get gifting. I get anointing. I get protection. I get progress. I get everything that heaven's opened up for me. So I need to know my father's will. Jesus only ever spoke about his father's will. And making his father's will known to his disciples. So, so we need to know the will of God. Our doctrine must reveal the will of God for our life and for the corporate church. Don't forget the church. Not just your life, the church. Your life is the church. You're in the church. You're the body of Christ. It is the eternal church. It's his church. You are his church. You're his bride. The moment you start thinking separate, you've missed it. You can never fulfill God's will outside the church. You'll never, ever, ever fulfill God's will outside of the church. That's why he's put you in the body. That's why why you're being fitted and joined into the local house. Whenever Christ speaks to you, he always speaks to you in the context of being part of his house. Always. Beware, of the, this is one of the things that you've got to be careful of in the modern day, is people want to be associated but never connected. This is one of the, this is the problem. They, they want you to have a church life but not a God life. So they'll create programs and endless programs to keep you in church, to keep fellowship going. Right? But it's never around the one 
Never around about Christ. Christ is not built into the church. You know, even God spoke to me this week. He said, Tony, be very careful that you don't get caught up reading about, about the word rather than reading the word. Get, don't get caught up with reading books about what I say. Get caught up with what the book says about what I say. That's the challenge in my heart. Don't get caught up reading so many books about, what's, what, about what the Bible says. Read the Bible about what it says. Get to know the author. Why? Because by knowing the author, you know his will. You know his heart. Now, I'm not saying reading other books is wrong. I, I shouldn't have to keep qualifying. You understand what I'm saying, don't you? Get to know the one. I've got a shelf full of books. And they help me from time to time. The output of, um, of possessing the knowledge and wisdom is that we use it not, on, uh, not only to better our lives, but we use it so we can accurately represent him. The output of knowing the truth is not only so that it makes us better, but it, so that we can accurately represent God. If I know his will, I know how to represent him. If you get a lawyer to go to court, you want your lawyer to accurately represent you and your interests. Do you not? That's what God wants us to have. Represent the Father, represent the will, his will accurately. How will he do that? He will send the Holy Ghost and he will guide you in all truth. Amen? You see, what we must understand here, when Paul was talking here, he was talking about a real person. When he's talking about knowledge, let's not forget, let's go beyond knowledge. Knowledge of what? This is why just knowing about the Bible is not enough. We must know the one. We must know the one. We must know the one. We must know him as our father. The sonship cries, Abba, father, my father. I know him. So many people go to college to know about God. But the local church is to bring people so they can know God. Knowing about him is good. But knowing him, knowing him personally is even better. Amen? I can read all day long about him, but not know him. I want to know him. I want to know him. So... John 1, John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. Now, let's just read it slowly. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, comma. And the Word was God. So it's not just knowledge. It's not just a piece of paper with words on it. There's a person, right? And, and the word was God. He was with God. He was with God. It's a person, yeah? In the beginning, through him, him, person, all things were made. Without him, person, nothing was made that has been made in him, it's all in him, was life. And that life was the light 
of men. And that light must keep shining in our hearts so we know him better. It's all in a person. It's not in a book. The book is a person. If you read it just to know about a person, it's not enough. If you want information about me, you can get information about me on an internet. And I didn't even put it on there. True? You can find out what school I went to. <laughs> I'd like to know the day they found me in there. <laughs> they want to write, you can go on, is it, what do you call it? Friends, whatever it is. What's that website where you can find people? Friends of United, right? They put me in there. Right, Robinson High School. The second most influential person in the school after Nicky Butt. Because they found I'm a local minister. Not because I was academic. And I didn't even put that information in there. But you can find out about me from that website. It's amazing. But wouldn't it be better? Just come and knock on the door and talk to me. You want to know me? I'll tell you. Jesus says, don't go and ask everybody else. Come to me. I have life. This life's in me. So if I know the will of the Father, you know the will of the Father, and I can keep my heart, my, my heart clean before him, everybody who connects to me connects to him. And I'm a clean, pure source for heaven. Now I'm accurately representing him. Does that make sense? Wow, don't time go by. John 1.14, go down to verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now it's gone from him to us. You see that? It's gone from him. He didn't want to keep it to himself. Why did it come to us? Because he wants, he wants us to know him. He wants us to know this pure doctrine. He wants us to know it's not just a book. This is where religion has missed it. Save the manuscripts. Save the manuscripts. Whatever you do, save the manuscripts. No, the life. They'll die for manuscripts. We've got one. It's called the Bible. And religion will protect what the knowledge. But we've got the relationship. We've got the one. Hear what I'm going to say. Our early church fathers, which we call the Dark Age. When the church, the apostles had gone off the earth and there seemed to be a, dark, a darkness on the earth. The church went crazy. The Catholic church rose up. Then you had the Protestants fighting the Catholics. You had armies. You had king, the church running the nation. The kings had to bow down to the, uh, to the uh, popes. Right? You had three popes at one time on the earth. Confusion.com. Right? You had all this confusion on the earth. And they call it the Dark Age because men didn't have the understanding. But a lot of theologians will want to take you back to all, or to all those early church fathers. Why go back there? Let's just go back to the Bible. Let's just go back to Peter, Paul, and James, and John. Let's just go back to what the Word says. I've got the revelation. If I know him, he can, I can pick up from where he is. Now, I'm not demeaning their contribution. They've made significant contribution. They've helped significantly. But you know what? You can't beat a relationship. Now, they've helped us to bring that relationship. But now we've got it. Don't, don't keep me there. I walk with the God of heaven. I'm in the wisdom that's, first of all, pure. Never once does God say to me, Tony, go back and read Erasmus. 
Go back and read Augustine. Go back to Polycarp and see what he said. Go back to Calvin. God never, ever refers back to what an old saint said. He always picks up from where he is. True? Connect with this here today. This is what theologians don't understand. From the moment I'm born again, he doesn't say, right now you must be well versed in dark age theology. No. He connects with the God of heaven. Now, like I said, these books can be helpful. They can be helpful, and they are helpful. I'm reading, I'm reading some of them. All week I've been reading Louis Burkhoff. You don't even know it. It's a big, thick book. It helps Phil reach my, book, my top shelf. It's a thick book. He's saying, he's got words in there I never understood and never read before. Long, lot of words. But, but I read, not because I need it, because it's reference. But you know what? I get more through my revelation and praying in the spirit than he ever did from Louis Burkhoff, God bless him. Or Charles Spurgeon. Have you ever read Spurgeon? Oh my Lord. It's hard stuff. Smoke a pipe. When he, when he preached, he smoked a pipe. Now you could say, let's get one with us. Let's really go back with the Asians. Let's all start smoking a pipe. This is how doctrines create. Let's get like the man. No. Stay with the one we know. Stay with the one we know. Stay with that one. Now, some people would stone me right now because they think I'm dissing all the old early church fathers. No, I'm not. I'm putting them in the right context. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory. Some of these guys only saw a glimpse of his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is pure. Oh, Holy Ghost. I love this. The dynamics we see in John is he became flesh. And he dwelt amongst us. In other words, he's a real, living, interactive person. He's not found in a book. He's found through the heart. We learn about him in a book, which then can lead us to the point of salvation. Books play their part. I want you to understand that I'm not dissing old guys. The church has needed these guys, but God never refers back to them. That's a point that no one ever makes. When God ever went back, you know what he said? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Didn't say Calvin, Erasmus, Augustine, Polycarp, and a few of those names. The doctrine is something that our eyes must see and marvel at. How did we marvel? Through the process ready, of the illuminating of the Holy Ghost. The process of the illuminating of the Holy Ghost. As we stay in the Spirit, the Spirit teaches us all things. It's a key. See, the, the difference is why theologians do what they do is because many of them, not all of them, many of them have never entered a life of the Spirit. They've worked by the natural brain. So you have to, as you walk in the Spirit, Paul, listen, Paul was an educated man. Paul was very, very educated. So we can't condemn education. 
But, but what did Paul say? No one taught me this gospel. It came to me by revelation. The illumination. Now, we're not saying, we're not all suggesting you all stay at home. That's not what it's saying. This is an apostle we're talking about who was responsible for bringing, you know, most of the New, uh, New Testament teaching. That's how it came to Paul. Now you're, you've got to remember, the church was very early. Now we are a lot more progressed in many ways, but we're also backward in a lot, a lot more. We're fitted into a body. We're part, we're connected to a body. So we can't, people say to me, you know, you don't have to become a, you don't have to be a Christian to go to church. Absolutely right. But if you want to stay one, you better add. You can answer smart Alec comments dead easy. You can get saved anywhere. You get saved anywhere. I got saved in my my mother-in-law's front bedroom. That was church right there. That was the meeting place of God. God didn't meet me in the church. He met me in my mother-in-law's home. But the issue is, once I become born again, I better get in the church. Because there is no life outside the church. So we must be able to marvel at his nature, his character, his personality. This is what we need to know. We need to know him. We need to know his nature, his character, his personality. And we'll bring it to an end. This doctrine must be something that our eyes must see and marvel at through the process of the illumination of the spirit. That's why this light that shines in the heart of men must become brighter and brighter and brighter. You can't stay with the element of light you received. You must progress so we can go deeper and deeper and deeper. Amen? Do you know the difference between dogma and doctrine? I'll tell you. Thanks for asking. Dogma means a man's statement of truth. It's a man's interpretation of the statement of truth. Yeah? Say either in a creed. You ever heard of the Apostles' Creed? Okay. That's a, doc- that's a dogma. But doctrine is God's revelation of truth as it's found in Scripture. God's revelation of truth as it's found in Scripture. That's why we believe 66 books is the truth. Now the Catholics have more. They have more. But we don't. We have 66. God knows what he's doing. We have a, we have the rev- this is the revelation of God the Father, his Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's been made known to us. But man's statement is man's interpretation of what they think. So whose opinion should we really believe? We're not saying dogma's wrong because we, need, we, all, we all need a statement of faith. We all need a statement of faith. It's good to have a statement of faith. Working out your own salvation, you come to a statement of faith. I believe there's only one God. I believe his son. I believe... I believe that the atonement was given for us. Healing is in, is in the atonement. So it's good for me to have a statement. But my statement has to be corrected and brought into a line with what truth the scripture is. See, the assemblers of God had to keep changing its statement of faith on eschatology. In other words, how Jesus is going to come back again. And they said they were called the statements of fundamental truths. So people started to challenge him. That point A, section 4, subsection 5, it's religion for you. Right, says Jesus is going to come back this way. Excuse me, that's called an opinion. That's not called truth. That's called an opinion. It's a validated opinion, but don't put it down as a fundamental. So they have to go, excuse me, anyone got a rubber in the room? Let's wipe it out. So if they can be wrong on that, 
Now, if they can be wrong at that level, what other levels can we be wrong? We're not saying the assemblies of God are wrong as a denomination. What we're saying is a creed is different than a revelation from Scripture. One's man saying it, the other one's God said it. So we've got to be very careful. And revelation comes the more we walk with God. Listen, if I'm reading a denomination's creed that they made 50 years ago, do you think they might need to re- revisit it at some point? As we move, move into progressive truth, revelatory truth, there's things we know now that we didn't know then. If you'd have wrote a book on the eschatology or read a book 30 years ago, you'd have seen people talk about Russia as being the main threat. Now people's had to review their eschatology and think now it's the Muslims or the Chinese. Right. So we just might need to keep in present truth. Keep walking with the one who knows everything. Amen. That's not me. Last scripture. 1 Corinthians. Oh, man. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Now about food sacrifices to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. This is what he says. We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. This is almost like, you know, that going back to our pyramid again. You know, (laughs) Alfred, you should know this by now. The consciously unconscious. You know, he who knows that he knows that he knows is wise. Whoa, I'm not going back there. I got away with it once and I'm leaving it there. I was graced to do it once, but twice. But here's what he's saying. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. Oh, see? But the man who loves God is known by God. God knows. God knows those who love him. I want to be known by God. How do I get known by God? By following what his son says. Are you ready, church, to listen to what the father is about to say about his son? This is where we are in authentic sonship. The father is about to speak to us again about his son. So many people are talking about church, talking about missions and all these things are irrelevant. But who's talking about the revelation of the son? We need to know what the father is saying about his own son. Because though he said a lot about his son, he wants to keep speaking to us about his son. Why? Because by keep speaking to us about his son, we know him. We know him. We don't want to read what he said about his son only. We want to know what he said about his son, but what he's saying about his son and how I can partner with his son. So that in the, through the consummation of age, all these things will be brought to fulfillment. So our doctrine has to reveal him. Him. So many doctrines about so many things. But you, when you can get a pure doctrine that talks to about what the father's saying about his son in the present context, 
present light, in our generation, people are trying to relate and create a church that they think Jesus wants. Jesus wanted a church. Jesus started a church the way he wanted it. Now he wants it the way he started it. This is the church. The one, this is the, the, this is the gospel. The revelation of the son. And his relationship to his father. And how we can have a relationship with the son, with the father through the son. And how his spirit will take from the father Take from the Son and make it known to us so that we are complete in Him. What a revelation. Now that's where all the attacks come on doctrine to break that chain, that cycle. So my friends, I couldn't finish on that, but I'm finishing. If you'd like to stand to your feet. If not, I'd go for another hour. I want to make it so, so clear to you that we're fighting for the one. We're not fighting for church history. Those who did that, that was their fight. That was their assignment. Thank God for those who fought. Thank God for those who stood. You see, I can honor those in my past. You know, we are all here and we're shaped by the forefathers. We're all shaped. And that's why... Erasmus, Polycarp, and all those people, they, they had their contribution. We honor them because we are where we are. But now we're here, we have the one. We connect with him. He is our foundation. Jesus never tells us to go backwards. Why? Because his own doctrine is pure. Pure. They're still arguing and debating about a lot of the stuff that was written in the dark ages. But we're in the light ages. We're in the illuminating light ages. Amen? So let's just raise those hands, if you will. Let's put down that check again. Our faith has cost us something. It's cost others. Now it's going to cost you. Faith is not cheap. Faith comes by endurance. Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, endure hardship. You must keep your head in all situations why discharge the ministry the duties of the ministry keep it clean keep it clear why because the ministry must not be affected must not be affected and doctrine there's nothing like doctrine to contaminate and derail the duties of the ministry but God is having a pure church he will have a pure church and to have a pure church you need a pure generation we are that generation generation doesn't mean age it means we're the ones here we're the generation in this room there's generations but we are corporately one generation this is our time so we can make that we can make that declaration to be pure to keep our head in all situations to work out our faith to work out our salvation so that we can keep this thing, we keep our heads, we can endure in all situations. So Father, right now, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray each individual will receive the illuminating light of the Holy Ghost. 
Father, the revelation that came from the Father about his Son. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. It's the mandate that came from heaven. As the Father spoke on the earth about his own Son. So Father, reveal to us the dream center. The dream of the King. Let us know the Son. Reveal to us, Father, what you're saying about your Son in this time. Reveal, Lord, in every man and woman, child, and children's life, oh God. Reveal the dream of the King in this house. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <clears throat>